Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, if you could find your place in Matthew chapter 10. We're um, following up as we move through the Gospel of Matthew. Last Sunday was a, a shorter passage, but very, very profound, because Jesus was trying to teach us to see people as He sees people, with compassion, seeing the circumstances, understanding the, the great need that people have everywhere we go. And so it's interesting now today that Jesus is going to be sending out His twelve disciples with that mindset. I showed you how I see people, now go see people and do something about it, right? And He's very particular. We'll see that in the text today. But here's one thing that comes to mind when I consider our passage today. You know, pastors and churches all over the world know the Great Commission, right? I mean, that, that's a pretty... That's like... Christianity 101, what's the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, right? And Jesus says, before you worry, I'm going to be with you forever to the end of the age. So go, make disciples. Right, so we know that in general, but do we know the details? Do we know some of the, maybe, have we read the fine print about the details of what that looks like? We, we saw last week, um, Jesus saw the people. He had compassion on them because they were cast down, they were distressed, dispirited, they looked like sheep without a shepherd, and he said, to his followers, these, these disciples that he's about to send out, he said, the harvest is plentiful, right? The workers are few. There's plenty of work to do, not enough workers, right? So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. That was the end of the text last week. So today, as we... This, this is not an accident that this table is set up. What do we do when we come to the communion table? Before we get here, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Examine ourselves. Confess our sins. Right, absolutely. Confess your sins. Lord, is there anything? I read this Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. God, is there anything in me that's wrong? Am I doing something I ought not to do? Or am I not doing something I ought to be doing? Help me. Get me right. Get me closer to You. That, that's the prayer of this table. God, You have sent Your Son to die for my sins, to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Now, how can I live with that in mind? Right? That, that's the table. So, when we come to this text with that in mind, then we have to be thinking, okay... Am I actively engaged in this great commission? Am I involved? And I'm going to get to this at the very end because I kind of had to, to 
re-examine what I have said about mission and evangelism and being engaged and involved over the past couple of weeks because I want to make sure that I'm saying what's right and I'm doing what's right. I'm not exempt. Just because I'm standing up here and you're sitting down there doesn't mean I'm right and you're not. It means I need everything I'm telling you and then some, right? We all, we all need the Word. So with those thoughts kind of focusing our study today, let me read Matthew chapter 10 Beginning in verse 1, we'll go down to verse 15. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along. A disciple's game plan. And by the way, Jesus is the coach and the leader and the owner and the manager and all those things. We're just the players, so he gives us the game plan. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand or has drawn near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, Give it your blessing of peace, but if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak clearly to our hearts Your Word is before us. Your Spirit is within us. Help us, Lord. If you you don't work in our hearts and lives, then, then we are truly, truly helpless and hopeless. So I pray you'll speak. We will hear and listen and obey for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. A disciple's game plan. What exactly does it look like when Jesus sends out his disciples? Well, I want to try to be concise in the best way I can today. I've got a, I've got a lot of information here, and I don't know. Uh, I've prayed this morning that God would not let me share too much, but I would share enough and share what He wants me to say. And so I'm, I'm praying. I'm counting on Him to do that. Uh, there's a, several sources of information that I found extremely helpful. Uh, some from Leon Morris, who's a great New Testament scholar, and Michael Green, who is 
just phenomenal in his missional mindset. And I'll be quoting from both of those guys a few times this morning. But let me just tell us what is the focus of this passage. There's two things in particular that we see very clearly split up in these 15 verses. The first one is this. Jesus gives authority. You want to know how we can be equipped to do what Jesus tells us to do? We go in the authority under the mantle of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the one who died on the cross. So we're not going. Don't ever think when you go somewhere with the gospel, don't ever think you're going on your own authority or even on your own name. You know, let me, let me try to explain what I mean in an earthly context. So growing up in Lexington, in, uh, back when it was a smaller town, uh, and my father worked at the bank in town. And so he worked there 40, more than 40 years. So over that time period, he knew a lot of people. And we couldn't go anywhere. My kids fuss at me all the time, but now every time we go out, about I, I always know somebody, you know, everywhere we go. And, I, and then, of course, I have to talk to them, and they can't stand that because we're going to be here another hour because Dad's running his mouth again. Well, I get it honest because my father was the same way. He knew a lot of people. He talked to a lot of people. A lot of people talked to him. And here's the thing, though. When I would go out and I was growing up and I would be in public somewhere, I didn't have any standing on my own. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm a 15, 16-year-old kid. I don't... Who am I? I'm a nobody. Right? But if I needed something, or I got in a tight spot, or was in trouble, you know what the first thing I would do? Well, my dad is, and I'd I'd drop his name. And chances are, in town, somebody's going to know him. And then they might be a little more inclined to help me. You know what I'm saying? Anybody, can anybody identify? Right? You, you, well, my dad is so-and-so, and do, do you know my dad? Can you, can you help me? Not based on who I am, but based on his name. You see what I'm saying? When we go with the gospel, who's going to listen to me? Who should listen to me, honestly? Anybody? No. But everybody needs to listen to Jesus. Everybody needs God's word. I don't go if if it was all up to me, and I'm just saying, hey, I've got something I want to t- talk to you about. Then people would look at me and just laugh, and then go on about their business. But when we come in the authority of God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who died on a cross to save us from our sins, that carries a weight of authority. Does that make sense? So, so that's the reason why Jesus, before sending out His disciples, He doesn't just send them out there and say, all right, good luck, y'all have fun, uh, wish you the best, I'm going to be back here, you know, just doing my thing, but I hope everything goes well for you. No. Jesus, very first thing, He gave them authority, His authority. He's delegating them as, a, as an ambassador Paul would use that same terminology in 1 Corinthians. We're his ambassadors um, pleading with you in the name of Christ. We're pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. That's the same terminology. And so when he gives them authority, you know what this reminds you of? You should see it all through this text. Acts 1.8. 
what did Jesus say before He ascended? It's not for you to know times and epochs fixed by the Father's authority, but you're going to receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. But what came first? The power, the authority, and then the mission. Same thing right here. Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal. Now, why would he do that? Presumably, all these men were not scholars, right? They were fishermen, tax collectors, average people, right? And now they've been pressed into service by Jesus, so they weren't trained. They weren't trained in public speaking. They weren't trained in um, the ways of the religious establishment, so they didn't know how to do those things, but they had the authority of Jesus. And so Jesus empowered them, made them his ambassadors, and gave them authority to do some things. You want to know why that's important? Let me, let me give you an earthly example. Someone in the community has a need. And... As a church, or maybe even individually, we can meet that need. Maybe someone needs, um, needs their yard cleaned up. Maybe they're not able to do that on their own, and they need some help in their yard. Maybe um, someone is, uh, ha- has an injury or surgery or is handicapped in some way and needs um, a wheelchair ramp or something like that built onto their home, and, and we can make that happen. So, but why would we do that? What's our real goal What's our real purpose? Yes, we want to do good and we want to help and serve, but what are we hoping would come out of that service? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You wondering why we came out here and did this free of charge? We don't want any money. We just want to explain to you why we feel compelled to do this. Why would we help? Because Jesus loves you. And we're trying to show and demonstrate the love of Jesus in a practical way by meeting this need. Not because you can't get it somewhere else, but because we have a message to share that we're hoping this will demonstrate that uh, we're credible and, and we can be trusted. And, and we just want to show you this as a, as a means of, of love and meeting a need, but then we want to tell you about why we're compelled to do it. Hopefully it will gain us a hearing, right? So when Jesus empowers these disciples and he gives them authority to cast out unclean spirits and heal the sick, well, guess what that does? People might be a little more inclined to listen to what they have to say if they've just performed some miraculous act, right? That meets a physical need, meets a practical need. So he's giving them authority. He's setting them up for success by giving them a standing, hopefully to gain them a hearing. And and by the way, we should be uh, drawn to, you want to write this down, you can note it and and look at it later. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, down around about verse 26, we'll back up to 18, but really 26 and to the end of that first chapter. And here's what, here's what the Bible says right there. I'll, I'll paraphrase. Uh, God didn't choose the all-stars. Okay? If you have got a lot of earthly talent, 
and you uh, are looked at by the world as all that and a bag of chips, God's not looking at you. He chose the ordinary. He chose the, the, the basic people. He, in fact, He chose those who were despised by the world. He chose the foolish things to shame the wise, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. And so these disciples, Leon Morris called them, when Jesus chose his twelve, he didn't choose supermen. Right? They were out fishing. All right, let's just do a poll real quick. Do you think if we were to leave here right now, field trip, let's go up to Lake Murray and go to a boat ramp of folks who are out fishing this morning and not in church. And we're trying to do a recruiting mission for... Uh, the next senior pastor at the, one of the two churches in our association, they're still looking for pastors. Do you think, how, do you, how successful do you think we would be if we went to the boat ramp on a Sunday morning looking for fishermen? I mean, you know, who knows? It's like the, the pastor who called in sick to church on a Sunday morning so he could go play golf had the best game of his life. On the 18th hole, he hit a hole in one, and God looked down and said, yeah, who are you going to tell? Sunday morning, you're not at church. Uh, see, can't tell anybody because you're embarrassed missing church, play golf. So, you know, if you're out at the boat ramp pulling in fish when you could be gathered with God's people, you know, Jesus didn't choose the best of the best. He doesn't need outstanding people to do his work. Because you know what happens then? Then there's a little confusion on who gets the glory and who gets the credit, right? But when God chooses the, the, the nobodies, He chooses uh, just ordinary people with no special talents, and then He uses them in a supernatural way, guess who gets the glory? God, which is how it should be. Jesus gives authority. second thing, though, is Jesus gives instructions. This might be the most important part of this passage because there's so many things that Jesus does in the midst of these instructions. He defines several things. And I'm, I'm going to give you... Let me count these up. Five different things in these instructions where Jesus defines some things. He defines the audience. Look at the first two verses there, five and six. He says, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, why would he do that? Isn't the Great Commission make disciples of all nations? Yeah, but we're not there yet. That's chapter 28. This is chapter 10. So what's happening here? There's priority still on Israel as God's chosen nation. There's lost sheep. By the way, remember what he just said? He just said it in chapter 9 in verse 37. They look like sheep without a shepherd. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel first and, and try to tell them about me, the Messiah. So he tells them uh, what the audience is. He defines the audience. Now, in due time, the followers of Jesus are going to preach to people of any and every nation, but there is a proper order. Go to Israel first, 
Uh, read the book of Acts. You get to chapter 10. All of a sudden, Cornelius comes on the scene. Chapter 13, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and they are overjoyed because you know what the, uh, the missionary said, Paul and his, his group? Well, since you judge yourselves unworthy of salvation, we'll, we're going to the Gentiles because they're dying to hear about Jesus. And that's where we're going. So there's a time for that, but there's a proper order. So Jesus sends them first to the lost sheep of Israel. Start with the Jews. So Jesus defines the audience, but also he defines the mission. He tells them in verse 7, As you go, preach and say what? The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And how do we know the kingdom of heaven has drawn near? Because Jesus is there. He represents the kingdom of heaven. He is God in flesh, the second person of the Trinity. He's God standing right there. The kingdom of heaven is on earth. Right? So, tell them, preach, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And then not only preach, but then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. And here's something very interesting. If you look at your Bible... You, you might see this. Hopefully your translation will do this for you. You'll see uh, the word in verse 8, the word the, that definite article, is in italics. Hopefully your Bible does that for you. It, it says heal and the word the, and then raise the dead. The, the word the, the article, is in italics. That, that's because in the Greek New Testament there was no article. In fact, it just said um, sick heal. Dead, raise. Lepers, cleanse. Demons, cast out. There was no article. You know why? Because that was not the primary focus of the mission. That was part of the mission that surrounded, supported the main focus of the mission. What's the main focus? Preach. Preach. Tell them the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Tell them about the Messiah. There's no, there's no full gospel yet because Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. But He's there. He's on His way. So proclaim, preach, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. So as you're doing that, here's some things that are going to support that message. Heal sick. Raise dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received my teaching for free. Pass along my teaching for free. The gospel... You know what's funny when you go to somebody's door? Like if you go up to somebody's door? We see this a lot on our mission... We'll see it uh, on the mission trip next week. Matter of fact, down in South Florida. If you knock on somebody's door, or they have these little door hangers, a little less confrontational, so go up and just hang it on there. And if they're in the yard, we'll talk to them. But... Um, What's the first thing, and I do this, what's the first thing you say if somebody walks up to your door and you're not expecting them? What's usually happening? They're trying to sell you something. Right? Somebody came through our neighborhood just this past week, trying to knocking on the door, and I look on the little, I love a doorbell camera. Just look, see. I'm like, who is this joker? What's he selling? And I walk out, and he said, hey, sir, what's your name? I said, my name is somebody who doesn't like to buy stuff from somebody who walks up to my door unannounced. Bye. He wasn't too thrilled. But 
when you walk up to someone, they want, they think you're selling something. And I always respond the same way. No, I'm not selling anything. I'm giving it away. It's the Jesus is free. The gospel is free. It's for everybody. And and you don't have to pay for it because Jesus already did. He paid it all on the cross. It's a great transition when they think you're selling something and you tell them, no, I'm, I'm giving it away. You receive for free, pass along for free. Now, here's some things we have to see about this mission. Do you know that out of the twelve, at least ten of them, we don't know for sure if ten of the twelve ever actually preached a sermon. They were part of the mission team because it was twelve people, right? But as far as what Scripture records for us, we're not sure that ten of the twelve ever actually preached. They may have, but we, we can't say definitively because Scripture doesn't tell us. So, what's going on here? They didn't necessarily preach, but guess what? They all went. They all went out on mission. Jesus sent them out. So they had some part to play in the mission of God. They were all witnesses in some shape or form. And so, Michael Green says it this way. He says, I know of... Listen to this. I know of no more effective way for a church to grow than for it to become a church full, not of preachers, but of witnesses. Witnesses. You don't need a church full of preachers. You need a church full of people that have been grabbed a hold by Jesus and can't stop talking about what Jesus has done. That was a great place to say amen if you're playing along here. Everybody is a witness. Every Christian is a witness. He says God has no silent children. The message the apostles were to preach was constant. They were not directed to preach a variety of topical sermons, but simply to say, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It's the same message John the Baptist had, the same message Jesus himself had when he began this mission back in Matthew 4 and and into Matthew 5. It's the same thing. And, And by the way, this is a marvelous way to train members of any congregation. The best way to train people in mission is not to give a lot of really eloquent sermons on it. That helps. That's part of it, but that's not the best way to train people. The best way to train people is to get people out in the streets or into houses or even into prisons or to other cities with the gospel. And that is exactly what Jesus did for His followers on this occasion. He sent them out. He sent them out. Jesus defines the audience. He defines the mission. Jesus also defines the resources. You go to the next couple of verses, verse 9, verse 10. You see Jesus says, Don't gather up gold, silver, or copper for your wallet. Don't pack a bag or an extra coat or extra sandals or a staff. And you know why? Jesus is going to provide through the people who joyfully receive the message. So look how that works. He, he says it in not so many words. 
uh, in verse 10. The worker is worthy of his support or is his nourishment. And so what he's saying is, hey, you don't need to bog yourself down with all this extra baggage because guess what? Along your way, people are going to be in your path. By the way, divine appointments. Jesus is has got people out there, and He's sending them to these people. And so He says, these people that you go to with the Gospel, they are going to support you along the way. You don't have to worry about it. And, and by the way, do we really think that we support ourselves with money and material things that we earn and gain on our own? I mean, let's, if we really look at it, we really look at it clearly. Are we really relying on our own industrious nature and our work ethic and all these things to support ourselves? Because here's what, here's what that looks like. If I think for a second that I can gain anything without the intervention of God Almighty, I am fooling myself. God, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. We don't, we don't ultimately work and get things or get support. God provides. How many? I bet there's people in this room who can testify about. I was in this position. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea how I was going to make this or that happen. And all of a sudden, something just came out of nowhere. I've had it happen. We've had it happen. Where did that come from? I don't know. We were praying and people were praying for us. and God provides. Right? That happens. It should remind us that it's, we, can't, we can't do enough on our own to support ourselves. God is supporting. He's providing. Jesus defines the resources. Don't gather these things. Don't pack these bags. Those who gladly receive the message will provide support. And so that's a a great um, principle for us to remember. It's not money that sustains them on their journey. They're not to rely on their monetary resources. God's going to supply their need. And He does that all the time. The twelve, they were going out in the service of God and they too would merit their food as they labored for their Master. They didn't need to pay for it because God was going to supply what they needed. God always... Now, Now listen, let me clarify. God may not give us everything we want. But God always gives us what we need. Always. Always. And so, you know, don't confuse everything we want with what God knows we need. Because those are not the same. Jesus defines resources. Jesus also defines the support. You go to the next set of verses. Verse 11 Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who's worthy. Stay in that house until you leave. And as you enter the house, give your greeting. If it's worthy, let your peace go to the house. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Jesus is defining um, who they should partner with almost. 
And so you have people who receive the message, people who reject the message, right? Anybody ever encountered someone who rejected the gospel message? I have on many occasions. Uh, matter of fact, last year on this very mission trip coming up this week, uh, I, in fact, I think I told the story here uh, where we were out in the park, we're trying to pray for people, and a guy's walking up with two big Rottweilers, and he's all in black, got black, dark glasses on, and uh, I said, hey, how you doing? And he, you know, cussed at me and told me he wasn't doing that great. And I said, can I pray for you? <laughs> he said, well, I'm an atheist, so no. I'm like, all right. And as he passed on by, I was like, you can't stop me from praying for you. I'm praying for you anyway. And so as he walked away, I started praying for him. But, you know, he, he didn't want anything to do with it. But that's fine, because I don't, need his, I don't need your permission to pray for you. Did you know that? And by the way, all of you have permission to pray for me, if you'd like to. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not rejecting any prayers. And th- unless you're praying like, Lord, just get him, and you know, you know, if it's bad, I don't want you praying for him. But if it's good, I don't mind anybody praying for me. Jesus defines support. The other thing, though, Jesus defines consequences. And this might be uh, maybe one of the most serious parts of this last few verses. When you get down to verse 14, Jesus says, Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of the house or the city, shake the dust off your feet. Now, Do you know the significance of that? The divide at this time, the divide between Jew and Gentile was so strong that the Jews actually believed that the dust in the Gentile cities was unclean. So when they, if they walked anywhere near that, they had to knock the dust off their feet because they didn't want any of that unclean Without God, they want any of that tracked in to where they were going. It was like it's, it was like a, the ultimate symbol of uh, I, I want nothing to do with you. A visual way to communicate that. And so Jesus says, if they reject the message, or you as the messenger, shake the dust off your feet as you leave. And then in verse fifteen. Jesus says, it's going to be a better day in judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for those cities who reject my message or my messenger. Now, just for a quick history review. Do we all remember those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah? This is where Lot and his family were rescued because of the way the men in the, in, the, in the towns were trying to treat these angel visitors that had come. And so God rained down fire on these two cities and burned them to the ground. That's a pretty serious judgment, right? So you go read that story in the Old Testament and you understand what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God burned them to the ground. There are piles of ashes and that's it. That's all that's left. And Jesus says... This should give us a pretty clear, vivid image. Jesus says, 
Sodom and Gomorrah, those two, remember those two cities I burned into ash? Yeah, well, they're going to have a better judgment day than these cities who reject my message. That's serious. That, that should clear up any doubt or confusion we may have had about how serious is the gospel. How serious is the message of Christ that we're trying to take to the nations and the neighborhoods everywhere in the world? How, how serious, how much does it matter? It matters that much that cities that, that God burned to the ground are not going to be treated as badly on Judgment Day as those who reject the message of Christ. That's serious. That should get our attention. And so, Leon Morris, writing about that, he was talking about the Jew and Gentile divide and how some uh, would not receive the message But then he said this, he says, Deliberately to reject those who came to them with the message of the nearness of God's kingdom could not go unpunished forever. And we should not miss the Christological claim that is implied here. If the punishment of those who rejected Jesus' followers who brought this message was greater than that of the notorious sinners of old like Sodom and Gomorrah, then how great must we understand Jesus to be? That's got to be the biggest takeaway here in this text. Right? When we read verse 15, and we understand the context in which verse 15 is is spoken, Jesus has sent out His twelve disciples, He sent them out on mission, And He's given them His authority as His ambassadors. He's given them instructions about what to do and where to go and all the things they need to know about their mission, right? But then in the very last verse, He talks about judgment if you reject the message. And so if that's the case, if judgment on those who reject this message is greater than that of Sodom and Gomorrah, then Jesus must be the greatest of all time. And He is. Jesus is the greatest. He truly is great. He's a great friend. He's a great shepherd. He's a great Savior. He's a great God. And if these statements are true, and and they are, then why do you suppose churches in general and believers in particular, find so many excuses not to be involved in the mission of God. Is there any cause greater than Jesus and the Gospel? The testimony of God's Word is so thorough and so consistent... Every single follower of Jesus has the glorious privilege and obligation to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You may never travel to the ends of the earth with the gospel, but the message is needed in neighborhoods and nations. Everywhere. And and so as I'm closing this sermon and we're about to go to the Lord's table, I want to take this opportunity to... 
I, I wrote in my notes, I said I want to apologize. I don't know if I really want to apologize, but I want to clarify. I definitely want to clarify. I've talked a lot about these three words in the last couple of weeks. Pray, give, and go. And I've talked about how each of these three tasks are crucial to the mission of God. And that's completely true. But, I, I believe that I may have unintentionally given the impression that it's perfectly acceptable to pray or give instead of going. And, and if I have given that understanding, then, then I need to correct that. Because that's not exactly the case. I need, I need to be very clear right here. Every follower of Christ does not have to go around the world to share the gospel. But every follower of Christ most certainly has to go somewhere with the gospel. And that somewhere may be uh, to a friend or a family member. It may be to a neighbor or a co-worker. It may be to a classmate or a random person in the grocery store. But every single Christian has a mandate to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it shouldn't be that big of a deal, quite honestly, because if Jesus has truly changed your life, I imagine you want to tell somebody about that. Right? Doesn't that make sense? If Jesus has done for you what the Bible says He will do for you, and you understand that, and you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, why would you not want to tell somebody? That's the Great Commission in a nutshell. We're, we're to tell, we're to share our testimony of how Jesus has radically changed our lives. This is why the church exists. This is why we give money to the cooperative program and to mission offerings. This is why we took a group of teenagers to West Virginia earlier this year on their spring break to do missions. This is why uh, we're helping two different sister churches with revivals this month. This is why we're taking a group of teenagers and adults to Miami next week. This is why I'm traveling to Brazil to plan next year's mission partnership so many from our church can go uh, to that part of South America with the gospel and help. And I, I believe in leading by example. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and encourage you or ask you to go do something that I'm not doing myself. Because I don't think that's right. But I think we have so many unbelievable opportunities to make the name of Jesus great everywhere. You know? We have opportunities to share the Gospel to be a blessing to people, to tell people about Jesus, to show our faith and to share the testimony that God has given us by saving us from our sins. We have opportunities everywhere to do that. And so to think that, that well, I don't, I don't need to be involved in that, that's not true. If you are here and you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you believe in Jesus, it's not just a, an obligation, it's a, it's a great privilege to go tell somebody. 
I read this statement by Michael Green, and it it kind of it made me I don't know it made me have all kind of different feelings. And this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table and remember His sacrifice. Michael Green wrote, "Until our lives." have been filled with the Spirit of God, we shall not be likely to engage enthusiastically in evangelism and missions. It's altogether too costly. We need empowering if we are to achieve anything for God. The power of the Lord and the mission of the Lord belong together. You know, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, yes, at home. But in Judea and all Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. But until we get full of the Holy Spirit of God, We're not going to enthusiastically engage in evangelism and missions. Because we'll just see it as costing too much. And this is a perfect time for us to spend some time examining and reflecting and asking God, what do you want me to do? www.berlinchurchsc.org